you don't have to like prospecting, you just have to do it. Well, that's a little harsh though, but is it? So here's what we know, those who succeed with outbound or proactive business development have a simple philosophy. Do a little bit all of the time. Those who fail with outbound business development follow a less consistent path. They do a lot, some of the time. So today in Emerge On Purpose podcast, we're gonna be exploring hacks to stay proactive with top of the funnel activity. Hi, everybody. It's Pete Oliver. Welcome to the Emerge On Purpose podcast. This podcast is for sales reps and managers who want to become better leaders. Each show, we'll talk about a different leadership principle that will help sales reps and managers emerge on purpose. So, Pete, I'm excited about this one. This is something that is an ongoing challenge for all sales folks, especially those who have the responsibility to hunt for new business. So why do you think this is important? Uh, And jump into these hacks. Let's just get, let's just jump right in here. Yeah, I think it's a great topic and it's one that's been near and dear to my heart because I do feel like solving this riddle has contributed to our team's success and it's it's also been very noticeable when we forget that that how important it is you can see the impact that it can have if if we don't solve the riddle and i mean for me it my mantra over the last four or five years has been discipline equals freedom i heard it from jocko and it really stuck with me used to mean something completely different. It used to mean, well, if I stay proactive with running the business, if I continue to do top of funnel prospecting activities, then I'll get to spend my retirement years in Maui. And I think we all know where, those of you that know me know where that ended up. It was like, well, that's that's not too cool is to like think about what you're gonna do 15 years from now all the time. So then the discipline equals freedom became something different for me. It was work really hard from 4 a.m. to noon in Maui because we moved there and then have some freedom in the afternoon. So the big question is, okay, well, what fits inside of working really hard between 4 a.m. and noon? And really that a lot of that could be top of funnel activity. So it's like, how do we stay motivated? How do we not get into those traps of doing reacting to our day versus running our day and how do we in some cases do the hard things first how do we do the uncomfortable things first how do we do the things that are not necessarily going to result in instant gratification so nobody wants to pick up the phone and talk to strangers or do a bunch of emails that aren't going to get returned or it's that's not necessarily the fun part of our of our lives right snakes uh death and cold calls right three three biggest things people fear 
Right. The phone weighs a thousand pounds, so you don't pick it up. So that's what we're going to try to tackle today. So how many hacks are you going to be giving us? Would you mind sharing the what they are? And then you can just jump into the, to the first one, just so we can give some direction to our listeners. Yeah, we'll do four hacks to stay proactive with top of funnel behaviors. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Want to go, want to, go to number one? Let's do it. Okay. Number one. I know your why. Okay. It's really is that simple. I don't think, well, here, here's, here's what we all do. We all should on ourselves all the time. No, hear what I said. I said, should, we should on ourselves. I really should pick up the phone. I really should invest some time in LinkedIn. I really should improve my, my network of referrals. Uh, and anytime we say the word should, we're actually reinforcing all the reasons why we don't want to do it. And the big question is anytime we say the word should, we need to transition it to, well, why would I want to? Okay. And that's our why. Okay. We, a lot of times, and it, it is consistent with that rule you mentioned at the beginning, you don't have to like prospecting, you just have to do it. Yeah, we, that's true. But why would we want to do it? That's the next question we want to ask ourselves. So if, if we know the outcomes we're trying to achieve, then anytime we start saying the word should, we can always refer back to our own plan, our own why, our own vision. And if, if our vision is clear, we're gonna be more motivated period, but especially with the hard things like prospecting, like saving money, as an example, like maybe working out, things like that will become muscle memory if, we, if our why is very clear. That's number one. I feel like, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this, but why, start with why, it was a little bit of a, a buzz thing a few years ago. Uh, Simon Sinek obviously wrote that book and that was a big part of, of uh, his message. And I think, at least for me, uh, talking about the why, some people's like, eyes would just glaze over and it just sounded like this frou-frou, uh, start with the vision. Why is that so important? And I guess you hit on that, but how can we keep our vision and our why in, in front of us so we can look at it and we see it to propel us and push us through those days of drudgery that occur during sales, especially when it comes to prospecting, if we're doing it every day. Yeah, well, it's a lot of reasons why that if you have the goal or the vision, that's going to give us the energy needed to change. And the opposite of that is if we just get stuck in our comfort zone, we continue to repeat what we've done continually through our lives. So the, the better job we do of understanding our why, coming up with our personal professional goals, the more we can see that, the more that's visual, your current state becomes the problem because there's a gap between where you are and where you wanna be. So if we do a good job with goal setting, knowing our why, then it's gonna create the energy needed to change and act. So that's why it's so important. And how do you do it? Well, vision boards. Write goals down, tell your mentors what they are, tell your peers what they are, be accountable to yourself, to other people, and have it be a visual representation of your future self. And then that's your why. 
Love it. The other thing here is for leaders. Is it important for them to know, say a sales manager, is it important for them to know their reps why? Yeah, it is very important. It's, it, we want to become a part of our reps plan too. That's like the ultimate sales culture is when our company goals, our team's goals are in alignment with our the teammates and the individuals on our teams. So if, if we don't know what motivates our people, then we don't know how to motivate them. We don't, we don't know what's important to them. All we can do is manage the numbers and that's a supervisor role. That's not a coach role, it's not a mentor role. So if we don't know what's important to our people then we can't even play the role of mentor or coach. Yeah, I'm always surprised after we do a goal setting session with leaders and so often their takeaway is find out my reps why or find out my reps personal goals, right? We, we, how much do we really know about the people that we're working with? 20% if that. So being able to understand what those who report to us, what their why is, what their personal goals are, will really help us map to the professional goals, their quotas, the things that they, they need to hit and achieve. So um, people work for their goals before our goals right so yeah how about yeah definitely yeah I, I think if you don't know where you're going you're gonna end up someplace else amen it's really that simple so that's your why good deal all right hit us with number two hack number two okay. number two a lot of time and I'll, I'll set it up a little bit there's a lot of times let's pretend we even know what our goals are okay we know where we want to go and why we want to go there. And then you go down to the daily and we're doing stuff, okay? It's not like we're sitting there doing nothing all day, but a lot of times there's this big black hole between where you're going, what you want, and then what you're actually doing on a daily basis. Okay, and top of funnel activities, we'll talk about what some of those things could be, but it helps if we know what we're trying to achieve, that's kind of in the middle of the equation. And for me, it's, it's meetings. It's unique conversations and it's discovery meetings. So Lindsay, let's, let's take our team, for example. We know what our revenue goal is. We know where we wanna go. We know what percentage of revenue we can already see and not see, okay? We also know what our average deal size is. We know what our close percentages are. We, we have a, a pretty good understanding of, of what's got us to where we are and where we're going. So that makes it possible for us to know how many discovery meetings we need, right? As a team. So how many discovery meetings does our team need per week? Going for four. Four. Yeah. Now, why is that number important? Because we know our average deal size. We know our close percentages. Okay. We know how long our sales cycles are. So if we know those metrics, then it's easy for us to determine how many discovery meetings we need per week. It takes the guesswork out of success. Okay, if, if our sales cycle is six months long and we're worried about top of funnel activity, then the only thing that matters for us to hit our goal this year is the discovery meetings that we get between now and the end of June. Okay, so how many weeks do we have left in the year? 
Okay, we, we know that number now. We're in going into the third month of the year. We have four months left. Okay, there's 13 weeks in a quarter plus another four weeks. We've got 17 weeks left. Okay, we know that the delta between our goal and where we are now, we can easily determine how many discovery meetings we need because we know what percentage of discovery meetings turn into opportunities. So knowing the amount of discovery meetings that you need is very motivating because it's it's measurable, it's trackable. Okay, it's it's one step removed from the leading behavior, which are the money-making behaviors. Okay, so included in number two, yeah, we want to know the how many discovery meetings we need, but we also want to know the leading behaviors that will result in discovery meetings. Okay, what, what do we do that's controlling our ability to get discovery meetings? Asking for referrals, LinkedIn second connection requests, lead follow-ups, annual business reviews, uh, top 100 reach outs. Okay, how many fans do I have and how many of them have I talked to in the last X amount of days? Knowing what your money-making behaviors are is the second point. So know your magic meaning number, know your money-making behaviors. So that's number two. For those of um, listeners who are wondering how many money-making behaviors is the right number. If you had to pick a, a number because it can be overwhelming. Oh my gosh, I have a eight lane highway. This is so many behaviors. I only have so much time. What number would you say? I think the right amount of porridge, if you will, is, is three to five. Sure. Okay, you, can, you can do more, but tracking three to five is, is what we've found is better, pretty good best practice. You don't want to sure. put all your eggs in one basket and do one or two. You don't want to get too disjointed and do a boatload of them because you never really get good at any one thing. So three to five is a good number. Love it. Beautiful. All right. Number three. Okay, number three. This this one is like where the planning process meets the action process. So you think about the behavior part of the Sandler success triangle. It starts with vision and goals. It evolves in the plan. Really, that's what we just talked about. Okay, and then from plan, it's going to go to action. So how do we do that in an effective way? How do we like basically turn the corner from plan and go into action. Well, we got to protect our calendar. Okay. For me, that's like the biggest part of my cookbook is just making sure that I'm committing the enough amount of time in order to execute it. So we have to protect our calendar. We have to do the hard things first. That is important, but not urgent time. Just like going to Sales training, it's important, but not urgent. Leadership, stuff that we do for ourselves, important and not, but not urgent. A lot of times this, this prospecting thing, it's not like our pants are on fire here, okay? We wanna create a mindset that makes us think that, but we wanna protect our calendar and make sure that we're, we're prioritizing that just as much as everything else, because if not, our pipeline and our close percentage in our business is going to look like a mountain range going up and down, up and down, because we, we got amnesia about the fact that it was important to pick the phone up for two months. 
okay? So protect your calendar because every week that goes by, you're losing 2% of your year. If you have a six month sales process and you're worried about hitting your yearly goal and it's February, we only have 17 selling weeks left to fill the funnel. Okay, if, if you miss one week, it's like 5% of your year, 6% of your year. So we gotta protect our calendar every week, okay? Now cookbook, I mentioned the word cookbook. This is what we would consider your recipe for success. So we know how many meetings we need. We know what our money-making behaviors are. How many of them, okay? What is, if we wanted to say, I only wanna measure my behavior, not our results, okay? Which by the way, I, I like to burn the candle at both ends on that one. I wanna measure the behavior, but I also wanna know what the results are. But if we want to measure the behavior only, that's what goes in the cookbook. How many referral asks am I going to do? How much time am I going to spend on LinkedIn reach outs? How many new intro requests am I going to send out for new connections? How many networking events, virtual or in-person, am I going to go to? How many QBRs do I need to accomplish? And then it's the how many question. That's your cookbook. So take those three to five money-making behaviors, put a number on it, how many do I need to do in a given week or a month? And then track it. Okay, that's your cookbook. So have a cookbook and then protect your calendar. That's number three. Yeah, it's like a reverse engineering, taking a look at your goal, which might be those four meetings a week or whatever it might be. It could be a dollar number, it could be a quota and just working backwards from that. And also knowing that it's, a living, breathing document. It can change, right? You, as you work, if referrals is one of your money-making behaviors and you get into a great habit of asking for referrals without reservation, then you might say, okay, two referrals a week. I'm going to do five referrals a week. So you dial that behavior up and you can dial a different behavior down uh, in order to make, ensure you're managing your time effectively and, and not, um, getting too crazy with it and getting more efficient. Yeah. Inside of the planning bucket, there's, there's, there's create the plan. There's track the plan. There's adjust the plan. Yep. So if, if we're not tracking, we can't adjust. Right. But you're right. There's different level levers. This amount of time doing this type of activity resulted in X. This amount of time with this activity resulted in Y. If Y is bigger than X, then would we want to yeah, lever yeah. one up and lever the other one down. Awesome. All right. That's three out of four. What's the last? Okay. Number four. I've always, I say this a lot, but the biggest gift Sandler has given me is the success triangle. And those of us that have gone through Sandler, we get pretty good at trying to live that, that success triangle. And that's behavior, attitude, and technique. That's the four, the three points of the triangles. And inside of the behavior bucket, there's the goal setting process, the planning process, the action process. So the action part has three points too. Okay, there's discipline. Okay, discipline. That means there's consistency there. There's no excuses there. There's a cadence there. The second thing is energy. Okay, are we just going through the motions or 
or are we doing things with purpose? Okay. And then the third one is guts. Okay. Are we doing the hard things first? So the, the fourth tip I'll give you as a, as a hack for prospecting is constantly self-evaluate how you're doing with discipline, energy, and guts. Because if, if your action doesn't contain those three things and you're just going through the motions, yeah, you're doing the behavior, but you're, you're missing the mark on any one of those three things, then you're going to be working too hard. So that would be tip number four is constantly evaluate yourself with discipline, energy, and guts. So if I wanted to evaluate myself, what would you say? Scale of one to 10, one low, 10 high, and give myself a score and, and figure out where I want to be and what little baby action steps I can take to, to bridge that gap. Yep. You, you could big picture, measure how you're doing holistically, or you can take a specific action that you did and then ask yourself, well, did I follow my prospecting process? Did I have the discipline to do that? Was my energy level good on the call? And did I ask the tough question? Did I do the hard things? So even on a, an actual activity in and of itself, you can rate those three things on the call or the meeting. But yeah, you can also look at a big picture and see how you're doing. Did I, did I miss a month of prospecting? Um, is my body language terrible? Is my tonality weak? Because you're recording calls probably anyway. So you can start to see how that looks holistically as well. Yeah, I think in, in wrapping this up, I think about, uh, you know, with Sandler, we use a bunch of different assessments and there's a way we can assess takes action in a, a person's ability or kind of innate uh, ability to take action. And uh, those who measure high or score high on takes action, do whatever it takes to get the job done. And then those who measure low are conditionally committed to action. So not unconditionally, they're conditionally committed. Um, so I would love to just wrap up with your thoughts on that difference between unconditionally committed versus conditionally committed. And what what folks can do in order to, to dial that lever up uh, and just get out of their own way, it, whether it's fear, whatever it is to, that keeps them conditional versus unconditional. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, my advice that I would give leaders that have people that have low takes action, like you got to micromanage the crap out of the situation because like, they're not motivated to do it themselves. So they, how do, how do you create a condition? is the big question. So it could be because you're monitoring what they're doing. It could be because you're the one that told them what they should be doing. That's the condition. And, or you could create the need for a condition in and of themselves because now you know what their why is. So if, if their takes action is low, then you as a leader have to determine how to create the condition. And then over time, maybe you can get that to change. But I would also look at their ambition and drive. Like what's motivating them to do something? If you have low ambition and drive, low takes action, you're going to have to micromanage the crap out of that person. Okay, if you have high ambition and drive, high takes action, you point them in a direction, get out of line the way. them up, let them go. <laughs> get out of the okay. way. Now yeah. you still got to help them with technique. You still got to help them with process, but 
you know they're going to do stuff because they're motivated to do it and they've decided that they're not going to get ready to get ready because they're going to take action. Those are fun people to manage. Key is figuring that out before you hire them, not after. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Yeah, well, uh, that brings us to uh, another topic we're going to be diving into coming up in the near future uh, when it comes to hiring. So must-haves when hiring high-tech sales reps. So high-tech, obviously, is, uh, is like a rocket ship in, uh, in our virtual world. Uh, especially in our clients, uh, the hiring and, and growth is just uh, completely astounding. So we're going to hit on some must-haves. Anything uh, you want to uh, share about what folks and listeners can expect in that podcast? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a fun topic, actually, because talk about pain. You, you think about the challenge that you create for yourself if you get somebody in the territory that's not successful. It, second level pain is the dollar amount you put on that problem. There, there's the lack of revenue inside of that territory, obviously. There's all the money you put in the person that you hired. There's the, there's the collateral damage that they can do with brand in the marketplace that's gonna sit there long after that sales rep's gone. There, there's, there's just so much riding on getting the right people on the bus. And there's so many common mistakes that managers make when they're trying to hire people. Uh, the biggest one is they overweight experience. Just because somebody did do something doesn't necessarily mean they're going to do it. So, or if they can do it, doesn't mean they will do it. So there's a big difference between can do and will do. So we'll dive into that a little bit and talk about how to uncover that in a, in a very systematic way. Cool. Very good. Well, looking forward to that. Um, to your to what we were just saying before, you know, how do we hire these uh, behavior animals that have mental toughness and can exhibit equal business stature? And they've got that, you know, good balance on the, the behavior, attitude, and technique uh, triangle and, and making sure, because we know that uh, the cost of a bad hire can be pretty significant. So, in, in some of the must haves we share, uh, hopefully we'll mitigate that. So, very cool. We'll look forward to that. Any last words? That'll do it. Until then, keep climbing. Rock and roll. Hey, folks. Are you responsible for building a robust pipeline and hitting a monthly quota? Or perhaps you're responsible for the team that needs to do so? Do you feel stuck on how to connect the dots? We at Sandler Sailfish excel at the how-tos in sales and sales management. Book a discovery meeting with us today. A discovery meeting is a simple exchange of information to determine fit. A discovery between two parties, nothing more. We've helped thousands of purpose-driven sales leaders just like you to shorten sales cycles, consistently meet sales forecasts, and roll out proactive business development behavior plans that work. Go to sailfish.sandler.com backslash book a call or scan the QR code on your screen. Until then, keep climbing.